0: Welcome to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Scott of Denver Seminary. What are the challenges we face in today's church and culture in a postmodern, post-Christian era? Dr. Haley believes that in addressing those issues, the church must adopt a missional mindset. Christianity does hold the answers to the big questions of today's culture. Let's join Dr. Haley for today's edition of Christian Curious.
1: As the days, months, and years passed, more and more sociologists and cultural commentators describe America as, quote, post-Christian. A post-Christian society is a society in which Christianity is no longer the dominant civil religion, but has gradually assumed values, cultures, and worldviews that are not necessarily Christian. This is Christian Curious with your host, Dr. Haley Gray-Scott. Today with me in the guest co-host chair is Mackenzie Batson.
2: Hi, Dr. Scott, thank you so much for having me today. Um, My name is Mackenzie Batson. I am currently in my second year at Denver Seminary in the clinical mental health program. I'm originally from Indianapolis area in Indiana, um, and I'm really excited to be hosting this with you today. Well, I'm so glad that you're here with me.
1: Yeah. Um, Mackenzie, in 2018, the atheist Richard Dawkins warned on Twitter, Before we rejoice at the death throes of the relatively benign Christian religion, let's not forget Hilaire Belloc's menacing rhyme, Always keep hold of a nurse for fear of getting something worse. I'm I'm really intrigued and I find it interesting that even an avowed atheist would make such cautions about a world without Christianity. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I think that's really true. I think he is kind of discovering the value of having some sort of belief system right. that kind of governs the way that we um, govern our country or different countries. Yeah, our society and our yeah. cultural values. Um,
1: Well, our guest today has worked in one of the most post-Christian cities in the world, London, England. Shannon Hopkins is an extreme networker and a social entrepreneur. She lives in East London, but as you'll hear from her accent, she is a fellow Texas native. Hallelujah. She believes positive words and deeds can engage people's imaginations to consider a different, dignified, and positive future. From her perspective, I think we understand From her perspective, she says, I think we undervalue what inspires us and moves us to act. But once someone is inspired, it can really set a whole host of things in motion. And I think this is a really good perspective to bring out as we think about the changes that are happening in Christianity in America today and the loss of cultural and even political power that we have So, Shannon, thank you uh, for being on Christian Curious. Welcome to the show.
3: Oh, thanks, Haley. And Mackenzie, it's really great to be with you today. I'm excited for our conversation.
1: Well, I'm excited that you're here. Um, I would love to hear a little bit about your story and how it is you came to work in the U.K. versus the U.S.,
3: Um, I have to tell you, it's not a quick story, Um, and it really is rooted in my own faith journey. So I'll try to make it quick, but it, it was an unusual path and an unusual choice for a Texas girl. I have a background in business, and my first career was in the fashion industry working with startup designers. And while I grew up, in church and had a youth minister that was a radical discipler. I mean, we were reading Bonhoeffer at 16. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> it was pretty It was pretty amazing. His big thing was, uh, following Jesus wasn't just about getting people to come to church with you, but it was about transforming your high school campus. And that really formed me and changed where I went to university. And then I just started realizing in university that most Christians seem to be in a holy huddle, and they weren't actually the people that were transforming the campus or the city or doing, like, real civic work or even providing moral leadership. And that led me to really deconstruct my faith intellectually, and then I ended up in business. Um, And in the late 90s, came to this place of— I had everything that really the world said we needed. I was very successful, but really lacking meaning and purpose. And I looked around at all of my friends and thought, man, there has to be something more. And my question was, if I really believed in Jesus, would it change my life? Would it change my friend's lives? Would it change the world? And that set me on a path of discovery. I ended up um, taking a year out from business and Journeying, and actually went back and found this old youth minister friend of mine and through a series of events ended up planting a church called the soul cafe in texas and i mean it's interesting because when that happened i didn't have any friends that were christian so even though i was living in texas in the midst of you know the bible belt really the young adults i was with like had grown up in church that like me really deconstructed so i was doing this church plant which was a real unusual project um, with support cross-denominationally. And then I got on the radar of Texas Baptists. And so I moved to Austin and started working to kind of really ask some questions around leadership. What kind of leaders do we need for the church of the future? And what forms of church are we going to need? And, So I was in Austin, but working around the state of Texas, and I just found that I felt like I was swimming upstream. People wanted something new, and they wanted young adults to get involved with their churches, but they weren't really seeking to understand young adults or culture. And culture, I mean, this is early 2000s, so that tells you a little bit about my age. Um, (laughs) But, you know, the world was changing rapidly and I can remember we did this event in 2003 um at South by Southwest called Wabi Sabi.
1: Right. Um, and for those who don't know, South by Southwest is a huge festival in Austin that happens most years, not covid years, but most years.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's right, it's this huge I mean, cultural, secular event, and we did the thing. It was really all about Jesus, and we got written up in the Austin American Statesman that year for being the best thing to experience off programs, and at the same time, I got stopped in the hallway by somebody at the denomination that was like, I don't understand what you're doing. This has nothing to do with the church, and I just felt like I was banging my head against the wall. And lo and behold, eight people from the U.K. had turned up to this Wabi Sabi event that we were doing. And they showed up and said, we just want to be part of the conversation. We want to serve you. And I can remember looking out at this room and looking at these Brits thinking, man, we don't have a clue as Americans. Like, what can we learn from what God is doing in Europe? Um, right. In a post Christian, mm-hmm. post modern city, what if we could go into the future and then figure out what things we need to plant now? And I didn't ever think I would move here. I came on a sabbatical, really, in 2003, traveled across Europe, and then through a series of events, moved to London, not knowing a single soul. That's and amazing. And the works emerged. So, anyway, I'm sorry, that is a long story. It's kind of hard to.
1: Anyway, no, it's a good capture, and I love your word, the holy huddle, because, you know, I grew up in the same environment you did, um, a culture that's very, that was at the time very much influenced by the Southern Baptist culture. And there was sort of that holy huddle where it's a more defensive posture rather than an expressive posture where you're Mm. out communicating in. Society, And so I completely understand where you're coming from.
2: Yeah. Um, so with the um, organization that you're working with, um, you've led that organization for 15 years, the Matryoshka House. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that work that you are doing there?
3: Yeah. So, I mean, interestingly, Matryoshka House went through this epic change in 2019 and has spun all of its work into three new entities. Mm-hmm. But what happened when I came to London is I thought, I don't want to just start a church, but what is the starting point if you're not church planting? Um, and so I really, it, the question was, how does the work emerge? How does the work emerge in a post-Christian context? I explained it a little bit like when I came here, I thought maybe I'm just coming and getting my own new sandbox to kind of play <laughs> in and build an experiment. And so, you know, I sent, well, I won't tell you about that. Um, so the work really emerged and so it became project-based. And so um, over 15 years, we did 13 startups. So art projects, campaigns, social enterprises. We developed training programs. And so... With every project though, there was a question. So the first project that we did um, was an art project called Doxology. And I partnered with a British artist who since has been commissioned by the Queen, but really was just a spiritual seeker. And he was asking questions about how do we challenge our assumptions around faith and around the person of Jesus? And and how do you create dialogues that open up conversation instead of debates around faith? But I was asking a question, like, what is the role of art to, like, bring about questions of faith in a post-Christian culture? So the Tate Modern is one of the most famous museums in London. And there's a quote by a woman who wrote a book called Seven Days in the Art World, and she says, I go to museums like my mother goes to church. And I think that's so true in a post-Christian city. The role of art is is a holy space. It's a quiet place. It's a reflective and contemplative space. And so it was. I was trying to understand that, or the work we did with— Um, The Truth Isn't Sexy, which was a campaign to address the demand side of human trafficking, and we engaged 6,000 young adults, but when we asked them, do you think that the church has the power to transform society, over 90% said no. Wow. But when we tapped in and said, justice is aligned to the heart of God, we can do something, and we did this event called, this campaign called The Truth Isn't Sexy, you know, we changed the conversation in the media, engaged young adults up and down the country, can, you know, and won awards. Like we won a design award, we won an award from the UN. So, so like the projects really ranged, um, but all of them had a question about what what does the gospel really look like, and what are the kind of new pathways that the gospel can travel out. And so, like art and social justice and social enterprise. I found to be three of the most um, kind of fruitful, or like almost like they can be like super highways. So I don't know if that answers your question, Mackenzie. But that's the work we did. Is we were just building projects that really modeled something transformative in culture, and we were gathering people to participate. So there were really a, with Matricals. There were two things that we were saying all the time, like everyone's welcome at the table, everyone has a role to play, right? Like, mm-hmm. everyone was created to do good in the world, and so you, everyone has a, a role to play, everyone's welcome to be a part. You so, know,
1: what I like, you know, when I hear your story, what, what strikes me most is, you know, you mentioned that there were 13 different you know, initiatives or entrepreneurial endeavors that were started by the Matrishka House, and so many times as humans, you know, I know that whenever I try something and I fail, I get really discouraged <clears throat> and I want to curl in. And your expression is, okay, let's find out what else might work. I mean, you're, you react completely different to what the norm seems to be, to failure.
3: Um, can you unpack that a little bit for, for us? <laughs> Um, It's funny. I don't know if you're into the Enneagram at all. I'm I'm totally into the Enneagram. (laughs) So on the three, I actually do have an uncomfortable um, relationship with failure. But I believe that in this age, we have to experiment and we learn more from failing than we do from succeeding. So, And I think I like to think about impact more than success. Um, so if if we're thinking about what the impact is we really want to have, we don't have to think does this have to last forever or mm-hmm. that success is in how much the bottom line is, right? Like if you – it's like what's the impact meant to be? And then we can think differently around both what we're trying to, to achieve and what we need to learn. Yeah. So – I don't. I don't know. That's it's just funny. an
1: amazing perspective. I don't even know if you've thought much about that, but that's that's how I. That's what really strikes me about you is how how open you are to to dealing with failure and how you you comp- you view failure and completely different and you respond to it differently, which I think is one of the unique things about you and why you are so successful. You're kind of measuring success in in contrary ways by impact versus the bottom line or versus how long it'll last
2: McKinsey. yeah I think that's definitely really true I love the fact that you kind of um, talked more about the impact that you're having rather than the failure because even a small success can bring still bring about impact right yeah uh-huh. yeah um, Recently, you launched a helpful tool for congregations in the U.S. that's called What Now? Um, And it's launched by Rooted Good. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
3: Yeah. um, So one of the, maybe to suck up, one of the things that happened is, you know, for a long time, people would look at our projects and want us to come in and talk about our projects. Mm -hmm. And we would realize that wouldn't help people actually move forward in their ideas or own their own context and figure out what they were called to do in their own neighborhood. And so for, so that was actually one of the things that shifted over time as we started, you know, I've been developing tools to say, how do you, how do you do that work? Mm -hmm. So.
2: Can you talk um, more about why that would be that bringing your ideas would impact that?
3: Well, I think. I think one of the things that exists is there can be a copycat culture, mm. so you I think some people don't trust their own idea or think that i I think there's an insecurity around our own ideas sometimes, yeah, and so then you'll hear something, and often you'll hear something after years of work right that and you hear the kind of completed version where you think, and then people go, oh, I want to do that. You know, I think it's why, you know, in the 90s, it's why there were thousands of coffee shop churches popping up. Mm -hmm. Or now we have loads of co-working spaces. Like we, we want models to plug and play sometimes instead of doing the hard discernment work of watching, waiting, listening to culture and then responding creatively. Yeah. Um, and then I think the other thing to do is, particularly in congregations, you have to build consensus. So ha- so sometimes it's easier to point to a model and get everyone to say, we're going to do what they're doing, right? So mm-hmm. you're in Denver. Oh, well, there's this model that's working in Milwaukee or in San Francisco, we're gonna do what they're doing. Instead of, you know, again, building consensus and getting people to come up with an idea together. So um, when Matryoshka House launched Rooted Good, what Rooted Good, is, these sent out in the U.S. from Matryoshka House, it was how do we really get our tools into the hands of people and congregations, nonprofits, mm-hmm. individual changemakers, so that more good can happen in the world. And when COVID hit, we just realized this is such a unique moment for churches Mm -hmm. to respond creatively and with moral leadership into their communities. But we also realized that the U.S. context is fraught. There's a lot of disagreement and polarization. And so, um, you know, and the church reflects culture. Right now, and so what we wanted to do is say, how do we how do we create a tool that churches can use to make decisions about responding creatively in the season? So that's what what now is. It's a free tool, and it starts with you know digging deep on your mission and um, understanding the needs in both your congregation and your wider community, and then resources. And it has a little design activity in there to design new things and to experiment. And if if
1: congregations were interested in using this tool, where could they find it?
3: Yeah, you can just go to rootedgood.org into our Good Stuff section, and it's right there. And you download it, and it's built to use. You can use it in person if you're in a context that is gathering, but it's built to also use on Zoom or online, and it comes also with a Google and you can involve as many people that are as part of your leadership as you want.
1: Well, you know, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. You go, Haley. I was going to ask you something about, you know, you mentioned congregations and how COVID has brought about this unique opportunity. And I read something you wrote about the five phases of pivot. Um, One of the things that has astounded me most about this season or this year is how very flat-footed everyone around the world was caught by a pandemic as if we hadn't anticipated this in the future Um, that this might be a possibility and you wrote about the five phases of a pivot and i think that those Phases are helpful to congregations and to individuals when they're groping um, and grasping for change. And so, I, can you share with us what those five phases of a
3: pivot are? Um, yes. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's interesting because um, I led our organization through this massive pivot at the end of 2019, not knowing 2020 was going to catch us off guard. Mm-hmm. So as I reflected, it, it, it just felt like it was helpful. So I, the first thing is you have to recognize that what you're doing isn't working or the way you've always done it is fails to meet the need in the moment. So that kind of recognition, um, and that kind of is about, you know, I think so often we just try to keep going no matter what. The second bit is grief, and I – to me, this it feels like I'm continually surprised that we aren't grieving more as a people in this moment. But there is loss, and there, not just loss of life, but just deep loss yeah. um, that comes when you can't do things the way you've always done them, and you have You have to move to a new practice. And so the third is learning because you don't want to sit in grief forever. So it's really about learning. Um, This to me, I have a friend that used to talk a lot about um, um, dumpster diving, right? Like you want to go back and retrieve the things that maybe you were quick to throw out And say, no, what's essential we've got to take with us? What do we learn from that, from all that's gone before? So that's the third bit. And then fourth is about really having a renewed vision. And that's where hope comes in, right? That um, all is not lost, like the future, there's new stuff around the corner. Like I think this is, you know, when the guys went into the promised land and came back and said, hey, you guys it's amazing it's a land with milk and honey it's like remembering there's something we're moving towards and um and then the fifth is reimagined practice and so it's really remembering the impact you want to have once you really um get to that stage it doesn't matter how you do what you do cuz it's about again it goes back to impact what are you really wanting to be about what are you wanting what change are you wanting to see transpire in people or places or policies or systems. And I think this is where it, it kind of forces us to be brave.
1: Right. You know, again, I think that those those five principles are So helpful, just not only for organizations, but for individuals as well. Because, uh, number one, you know, if you're thinking on individual terms, an individual Christian, you're thinking, okay, during this time, I have to recognize the fact that things aren't as they should be. Things aren't as they always have been. And then number two, you actually do need to grieve for this. And. I don't know what it is about our hesitancy to sit, you know, to 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 grieve for a while. Not to sit and marinate in it, but to just actually move through that process. It's a painful process and we kind of want to scoot over it or we want to numb it or we want to avoid it by whatever means that we, we tend to do that. We have various habits that will help us to prevent us from grieving. And then, you know, learning from the past, learning from what has worked, what hasn't worked, and then, you know, casting that renewed vision. I mean, hope does require courage. It requires a degree of virtue that... Um, there's a favorite phrase that I used to, when I was going through my PhD, I had it taped to my Mac. It said it was a, it's supposed to be a Chinese proverb, but you never know about these things. It says, um, fall seven times, stand up eight. And Uh. that uh, proverb has inspired me so many times when I just want to say, I am done with this. Um, I am done with these hardships. I am done with the work, whatever it is, fall seven times, stand up eight. And then finally that reimagined practice, you know, doing something differently because it is a different future that that we're marching towards and to not be afraid of it, but embrace it. But um, Shannon, thank you so much for being here today. Mackenzie, thank you for joining me in the guest co-host seat.
3: Shannon, I think oh, that you uh, have so – so
1: more people need to know about you. That's for sure.
3: <laughs> uh, well, you're kind. It's been really great to be with you, Haley and Mackenzie. You've been listening to Christian Curious
1: with Dr. Haley Gray-Scott. Reach out anytime at Haley at com. That's H-A-L-E-E at com. Stay curious.
0: Thank you for listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley. You can contact her with your comments or questions about today's show at her email, Haley at christiancurious.org. That's D-R-H-A-L-E-E at christiancurious.org. You may also learn more by visiting the Christian Curious website, christiancurious.org. Join Dr. Haley again next week for Christian Curious on AM 670 KLTT.